Hey guys, this is PJ Williams from Conspiracy Pill with a throwback unhinged episode that was previously behind the paywall about Aleister Crowley. In this episode, Cody Harler from the Current Conversations podcast joins me to ask the question, did Aleister Crowley cause the world wars? Now, normally you would only be able to get this content by coming over and supporting us either by going to rockfin.com slash conspiracy pilled and subscribing there, which is kind of like a Netflix subscription for conspiracy theorists. So you get us, you get Sam Tripoli, you get a bunch of others, or you can support us on our Patreon-like subscription platform locals you can go to conspiracypill.locals.com you can download the locals app on your iphone or on your android and get all of our bonus unhinged content that way we put out an extra episode every week so please enjoy this and think about supporting the show now on to unhinged episode 21 Unhinged, the behind the paywall uh, conspiracy pilled show. I'm PJ Williams, and Abby Libby's not here tonight. She's traveling for work, but we have a great guest for you guys. We have Cody from the Double Down Network. Cody, how's it going, man? Man, it's going great. I'm really excited to get into this with you, and man, I'm sitting here with goosebumps thinking about what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, man, it's been a wild bit of research for me. I've because we're going to be talking about, obviously, if you're watching this, you can see this, but if you're listening, maybe you didn't see the title. We're talking about Aleister Crowley and this idea that he might have actually been behind the world wars, either as a spire with his uh, summonings and rituals and all this weirdness. It's, it's a pretty interesting topic. And I got to say the research for this, it's been weird. I, I've looked into Aleister Crowley in the past, like at times, but until like really diving into his work and reading a lot of stuff about him and Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, I'm like, holy smokes. This stuff yeah. is uh, it's weird. And we were talking before the show, but Aleister Crowley's everywhere in history from from 1875 till his death in 1947. He's like the evil Forrest Gump. He just shows up <laughs> in every famous person's life and in every country and in every major thing that happened in the world during those times. It's pretty it's pretty wild. I mean, the thing with Aleister Crowley is like. It, w- it wasn't just that like he showed up with everyone while he was alive and then go past that and people who weren't even born yet or were just born and i have michael aquino stuck in the back of my head from talking about mk ultra i mean he influenced that man to do yeah. awful awful things and really like push things forward so like you're talking generations later you still have crowley over everything I, I would i would even say that everyone even that does not get into the conspiracy theory stuff that doesn't know who alistair crowley is at least knows his name just because of you know ozzy osbourne or maybe they're familiar with the beatles and they know he's on the sergeant pepper cover like he's everywhere he's influenced yeah. rock and roll music he's influenced like what, jimmy page from the um led why zeppelin. am i just blank led zeppelin bought his house to record there dude so uh, the dude who rented out the I, I just want to plug this real quick. I know we're not sure. talking about it, but the dude who rented out the house in 1969, his name's Kenneth Anger, I believe. Yes. Yeah, Kenneth Anger. That name came up so, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and he also ended up purchasing the Abbey of Thelema, mm-hmm. um, in Sicily. But this dude was into some really messed up stuff. He was the first openly homosexual director, but the films that he recorded and made right afterward were both starring Mick Jagger. And yeah. I don't know if you know this name, but Bobby Soliel. Soliel? I don't know that name. It was one of Manson's. Uh, oh, wait. Yes. Okay. Now I, 
I did hear that there was another. There's a lot of connections between him and Manson as well, Aleister Crowley. Yeah, and Kenneth Anger, and yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just like you see all this stuff, and it it doesn't spark good things. No, was was Bobby the one that stole the film and buried it in the desert? Was that the story? No, Bobby was the one he killed. Um, Gary Richland, I want to say his name is. Here, I'm pulling it up. Right. What I was saying is I heard a story this week that one of the people who worked on a Kenneth Anger film was also one of the Manson clan who killed people. And he was working on the Kenneth Anger film and stole the film from Kenneth Anger, buried it in the desert and bribed him, like uh, extorted him for money. It was just a side note. But yeah, he he was. He was that guy. Okay. Okay. cool. Yeah. (laughs) So. All right. Well, anyway, but we could talk about a million different angles with Aleister Crowley. Um, I think each thing we've mentioned deserves its own episode at some point. But for for people who maybe don't know, could you just give like a brief backstory a little bit like who Aleister Crowley is? Uh, So Aleister Crowley is essentially the father of the modern satanic church. Um, He grew he's an Englishman. He grew up in England. Um, He cut like. When he was young, really young, his mother used to call him Satan, the spawn of Satan. And yeah. into his early teen years, he grew into, oh, I am the beast 666. He writes it in his writings all the time. And yeah. then, you know, there's a very famous passage of of Crowley's that is referenced all over, do what thou wilt. And yeah. um, that comes know, from the actually, book of the law that he wrote in uh, Egypt, I think, right? Uh right after his visit to Cairo for his honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it comes from his uncle. He was pretty much taken underneath his, underneath his uncle's wing. And, you know, his uncle, you know, let him just wreak havoc for his teen years. And then from there, after that, he got into the hermetic order of the golden dawn. Um, and things didn't go well there. And then you, next thing you know, he's the modern of the satanic church being claimed as the wickedest man of all time. Yeah, man, this guy was in every secret society, rubbed elbows with every occultist, inspired them all. Uh, famous, you know, sex magician. He kind of like brought that into the OTO and all these other things. Um, and, and that's really, I think, the biggest legacy that he leaves behind is his crazy, I mean, his, his influence, but his crazy inclusion of sex and drugs into these, um, all these secret orders and how much that they would rely on them for the rituals. So. Um, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's a lot, dude. It's such a big subject. So let's let's narrow it down. I want to talk about a few things in this uh, episode. And the first one is we I know we talked about this on your show really quick. Do you want to plug your show? Let people know what uh, what it is and where they can find you. Yeah, so D Double Down Network, or Daily Double Down Network. I'm so used to saying the name of the uh, website and not the yeah, actual yeah. network. But we have three different shows. Of course, we've had PJ and Abby now on our current conversation show uh, over there. We do a very similar uh, idea, except it's more of a roundtable uh, format. We get to bring up a topic. You know, this past week we did cryptids and we just go all out. We give our theories, we give our thoughts, we give research and just we try to bring the real facts to people that people can't find because it's not going to be there on the first page of Google. So that's right. that's pretty yeah. much the basis of our show. Yeah. Um, I love your show. It was honest. I've been on twice now. The second time Abby was with me, we had such a good time. And uh, I don't remember exactly. I know we talked about some of this stuff on your show and then some of this stuff on our show. And we kind of got into this idea about the Babylon working and Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard. So if people are maybe on Rockfin finding us for the first time and want to understand like that and why I think this relates, uh, just want to give a brief uh, overview of, of kind of what we talked about. And it's in 1946, Jack Parsons, the creator of JPL uh, Laboratories, and L. Ron Hubbard, the creator of Scientology, uh, they performed a series of magical rituals with the aim of uh, of incarnating the Thelemic goddess Babylon in human form. And this Thelemic god Babylon was a positive uh, reinterpretation of the horror of Babylon that was developed by Aleister Crowley. And he actually worked with Like Jack Parsons was like on the phone with this guy, like, hey, you know, like, how do we do this ritual? He was helping them to be able to to perform this Babylon working, which was a writing of Aleister Crowley's. And the reason it's or sorry, go ahead. If I get anything wrong, correct me, because I know you've delved deeper in this than I have. So you're talking Jack Parsons was on the phone with Aleister Crowley. 
No, I was just saying like he was in uh, communication with Aleister Crowley about how to perform this. Is at least the stories that I've read say that. So I came into it and there's actually a possibility that he was there with L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons. And really? he actually partook in the in some of their rituals out in the desert. Um he was they, at the time. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The time that they were performing these, he was in America off and on in that time period. Like he was bouncing back and forth between Britain and America. And the thing was, he had already like given up the reins of the Ordo Templi Orientis mm -hmm. in America. And through the Agape Lodge, he put himself under Jack Parsons as like his you know, secondhand man. So, right. Yeah. And this would be from, towards the end of Crowley's life. He was old and sick and he died within a year of, of this happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, and, and, uh, so they, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's good. Thanks for that. Um, anyway, they performed sex magic out in the deserts of white sands. And the reason that this was important to what I was talking about is, White Sands is where we start seeing things. You know, this is in New Mexico, and this is where we start seeing a lot of the alien activity, specifically the most famous one, 1947, which is the Roswell incident. And so this is where we see this explosion of the little gray aliens. They step onto the scene in a major way, and the theory goes that they actually came through this portal that was opened up by Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard in the New Mexico deserts in 1946. And there's actually another link to Crowley's earlier work that suggests that this may actually be what happened. And be, and that's because in 1918, Alistair Crowley did this thing called the, uh, and tell me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, the Amalantra working. Does that sound correct? <laughs> that's how I pronounce it. Okay. It could okay. be different, but. Yeah. So in, in uh, January through March of 1918, Crowley began a series of magical workings and in this uh, New York City apartment. And there they performed uh, sex and ceremonial magic with the intent to uh, invoke a cer certain intelligence into physical manifestation. And these workings manifested a series of visions and communications that were received through the mediumship of his partner, Rhodey Minor. And in all of this, one such intelligence may have actually come through. And we have a drawing of this uh, creature called Lamb. And let me see. I, I have a picture of a picture of lamb. Actually, let me pull this up on screen. Hey there, freeloaders. Hope you're enjoying this episode. But since you're not paying for it, I'm going to take a second to tell you about our newest sponsor, Healthy Cell. Healthy Cell is based on the simple idea that nutrients need to be absorbed into the bloodstream and then into the cells where they work to improve health. But most supplements use the same pill form technologies that were around in the 1930s. Decades of lab work show that most pills and even powders have low absorption. These older delivery systems compress dehydrated, large, dense, insoluble particles that are 10 to 100 times too big for absorption through the small intestine where the human body absorbs most nutrients. That's why Healthy Cell uses microgel to ensure maximum absorption by releasing extremely small, soluble, ultra-bioavailable nutrient particles into the digestive tract. You can get multivitamins, you can get vitamins for better sleep, or you can do what I do and get the focus and recall to help with that pesky brain fog. So to support the show, go over to HealthyCell.com and use code CONSPIRACY to get 20% off your first order. Now back to the show. Do you see Do you see Aleister Crowley, though, now? Um, the top of his hat, but yeah, I know this picture very well. Okay, anyway, so that's that's him. Uh, and here we have the, the being lamb. And the reason I thought this was interesting was if in 1918, the being that Aleister Crowley brought through looks like a little gray alien that... Uh, if Aleister Crowley's other workings in 1946 line up with Roswell, is it possible that this portal that was opened up was also bringing in these demonic beings that we know as grace? And that's kind of the theory that we put forth in, in an earlier episode. Well, to be honest, I think Crowley actually confirms it in his writings. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but in the Eon of Horus, there's actually a line where when he's discussing Lamb and Iwas and the beings that he has summoned, he actually goes on to say, direct quote, what they what we call demons today, they will call aliens tomorrow. 
Yes. So. Yes. I, I'm glad you brought that quote up because I forgot to put that in my notes, but it's exactly that too. And the other thing that we get, because uh, we've talked about this concept before and people are always like, well, if this is true, then why are there pictures of greys in Egypt mythology and in these hieroglyphs and things like that? And I'm not saying this is the first time they've ever been here because actually this is not what Aleister Crowley says either. He links lamb back to the gods of Egypt. And he says that this creature is uh, is essentially that. It's, it's these old beings from the past that we see in these hieroglyphs returning through this portal. So, and you're right. He says that we will call them aliens. And that's kind of the point I've been making for a long time. That I think they're the, the same thing. Um, so with that, I wanted to say like in, in that thought process, I started looking more into Aleister Crowley. And the first thing that jumped out on me just from his Wikipedia page, and I'm not pulling all my research from Wikipedia, but the first thing that jumped out on me on his Wikipedia page was where he lived in his life. You know how I said he's like this evil Forrest Gump. I instantly noticed the the dates and times and locations lining up with both world wars. And it was so interesting to me because uh, on Twitter, someone had asked me or someone had posed the question, like what really caused world war one? And there was this discussion because like, that's a thing you've probably heard before. We've all heard the story that Franz Duke Ferdinand was assassinated and then the entire world erupts into war because this one dude that is so unimportant in history, the only thing we know about him is that he was killed. Like, you don't mm-hmm. never learn about Franz Duke Ferdinand and his legacy and why he was so damn important other than he was killed and that caused every country in the world to like slaughter each other on mass, right? And it never sat well with me and I've listened to so many historians that are like, I mean, Europe tore itself apart. Like that's what they come to at the end of it is like, we don't really know other than there's so much tension. It was like, it was released, but there's not like a good answer. And I said that I feel like in all honesty, that maybe wonder woman had it more correct than the history books is like this idea of bringing these ancient evil gods and Aries and whatever that maybe caused this. So after saying that I was, it was the same day I was looking into Aleister Crowley instantly noticed all these lining ups of like, he's in Europe at this time doing these rituals and these ceremonies. He's in America doing these rituals and ceremonies. He's a, so I want to kind of go through that timeline and I know that you've looked into this as well, but was there any thoughts on that? Or is that theory just totally wild? No, I mean, if anything, the dates and times and knowing what he was doing in those places and what like his goal was. Cause a lot of the times he would write letters, he would write poems and, even sometimes full-blown books and sometimes novels that were about what he was doing in that area. You have to think about it. Aleister Crowley wanted everyone in on this. Like you, if you Mm -hmm. look into his book, um, magic and theory and practice, like the introduction is magic is for all. Everyone should be doing this. This is for everyone. This is good. So him like being a poet, and a musician and everything he wrote everything down and it even when it's quote unquote fiction it still draws incredible parallels to what was going on and what he was doing yeah so the first place i wanted to start with with uh this is in 1912 and in 1912 crowley uh was appointed the head of the oto's british branch the mystical, sorry, I got to look at my notes closer. The Mysteria Mystica Maxima or the triple M. Are you familiar with, with that order? Yes, it's a order of the, uh, uh, it's a part of the Ordo Templi Orientis, which is also based in the Freemasonry. Like if you look at the M's, there's a little three dot pyramid or triangle in between each M. Uh, that's actually that that terminology that symbolism actually comes from the way that freemason uh sex would divide themselves and um mm. yeah th- i am so very when you familiar say m is it. this like the the apron that we also see on the google mail the gmail logo no so like, an m like that no so you're talking like when they wrote out the acronym for uh magical mystical i am not sure exactly what that acronym was but in between each of the m's you actually see three little dots in its proper form um that's just like how they showed themselves apart like if you look at free and accepted masons versus free accepted masons the way that they're abbreviated is differently and that's kind of what happened and um 
the really interesting part that you bring up about him becoming the head is immediately after, I'm pretty sure he came to America and set it up in Detroit. Yes, we're going to get into that really quick. I just I found that that triple M. Let me see if I can open this in a new tab so we can look at this. Um, let me see. All right. So you can can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what you're talking about with the triangles between the M's. Yeah. I was thinking originally of like the the Google, the Gmail looking uh, Freemasonry robes. But yeah. Anyway. Uh. So. <laughs> yeah anyway a lot, lot of symbolism everywhere is my point um but yeah you're right so he he's we, i do want to get to how he goes into america um but uh so the next thing is at a ceremony in berlin this is where he adopted the magical name of baphomet and was proclaimed as the ex supreme rex so the point i was making is you've got all of this intricate workings in all of europe during these times he also becomes the sovereign grandmaster general of Ireland, Ionia, and the Britons. So he's becoming this leading figure in France, or sorry, in Britain, Ireland, and Germany, all, all in 1912. Then in 1913, he goes to Russia. So Crowley acted as a producer for the Ragged Ragtime Girls, a group of female violinists, and they performed in Moscow for six weeks. And during this time, Crowley had a sadomasochistic relationship with the Hungarian Annie Ringler. And the reason I brought that Annie Ringler up in this thing is he's in Moscow for six weeks leading up to the leading up to World War One. And what I've noticed, if you study Crowley, is almost all of his rituals are six weeks long. Am I correct on this? At least a few of them are. The Paris workings was. I think the Babylon workings was. It seems like there's and, and obviously the Amalantra workings. Six weeks seems to be like that. He loves the number six. He calls himself the B666. So I'm just wondering if that's like another working of his going on in Russia, another ritual of his that's just unnamed. Um, so, no, you're actually right. He, um, a lot of them do last six weeks. Um, they're either six weeks or three months or six months. They yes. all revolve around that three and that six. Um, and they... Yeah, you're you're spot on with that. Uh, but the majority of them, yes, they're six weeks long. Yeah, there was okay. Remind me of this because I've heard this story. There was one working that was six months long that he was like unable to complete, and it was that was that one in like Scotland or something. So you you know the house that I'm, I'm just gonna bring this really quick. Yeah, it, that's is, what I was thinking. It's, it's the house, right? That that Led Zeppelin recorded in the one on Loch Ness. Um, it's called the Bulliskeen House. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was six months long. Of course, Jimmy Page ends up buying it. But the really interesting thing is in 2015, it caught fire. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it comes full circle to a 666 because 60% of the house burnt down and the flames were exactly six meters high. That's so weird, dude. Because also, this, the Bolskin house was a church a long time ago that was burnt down. Mm -hmm. And then I've also heard people say that whoever bought it between it being a Burton out church before Crowley bought it, built the house in such a way that it was perfect for his rituals, almost as if the person who bought it after it was a burned down church was also using it for magic rituals. Weird there's a, there's a theory that I popped into that, uh, he actually bought it from a fellow Freemason who was trying to push past what they knew in the magic realm, and he had transformed it back in the mid 1800s. That I mean, that checks out with what I've looked into as well. Is like people have pointed out, like it's too weird that this house before Aleister Crowley did any renovations or anything was already set up for like these rituals. I don't know the whole workings of it. We don't to go into it, but there's like certain windows and things and stuff that have to be a certain way to do these, these rituals. So, um, so anyway, yeah, he's in, in Russia. So we've got him in Britain, Germany, Ireland, Russia, all in 1912 and 1913 In 1914. He does the Paris workings. And this is where Crowley and Nur uh, his assistant Newberg is how you say it, uh, moved into an apartment in Paris. And this is where they performed another six week long ritual called the Paris workings and invoked the gods Mercury and Jupiter. And the most interesting thing about this is that they were joined by a guy named Walter Durante. Are you familiar with uh, with Walter? I'm not familiar with him, but I have heard the name a couple of times. It's 
okay, so here's why Walter Duranty is interesting. He he's a Nobel Prize winning journalist for the New York Times, okay. but he got his Nobel Prize for his reports on the Soviet Union in 1931 until it came out that he was covering up for the Ukrainian famine that killed 5.7 to 8.7 million people. He was on the payroll of Joseph Stalin and a gay lover of Aleister Crowley. So I just find that really interesting that the New York Times has been fake news since at least 1931. <laughs> uh, maybe much sooner. Um, <laughs> but literally, this guy won a Nobel Prize for covering for Joseph Stalin. Uh, and he had a lot of interactions with Aleister Crowley throughout his time. But I, I find this interesting. So after after all this happens in July 1914, Crowley went mountaineering in the Alps and he's in the Swiss Alps. So he does this working all these workings, all these things in Germany and Paris and Russia goes into the Swiss Alps. And that's when World War One breaks out. As soon as he steps off the scene, World War I breaks out. He then sets sail for America on the RMS Lusitania on October of 1914, which I find very interesting, and then lives in America for the entirety of the entire war. And I, I, I find that very interesting, like that he was on the Lusitania, which is, for people who are not familiar, the, the ship that was blown up by the Germans that got us, that got America into World War I. So, yeah. Just weird to hear that name again. It's Forrest Gump. You know, he's just he's everywhere. Well, we're talking about him moving over to America and we're going to talk about where he goes to, but where he performs his ritual in Moscow, which is just a couple months before everything happens, mm -hmm. lines up directly with where he lands on ley lines in America. Really? I want to hear about that. So uh, I think it's the 188th ley line. It's pretty much a ley line that runs through the middle of Britain straight to Detroit from Moscow. Oh, my gosh. So you're saying he went from Moscow on the same ley line to Detroit to set up the Triple M in Detroit? So, yeah, it took on a different name. I don't think it was the Triple M, but it was a faction of the Ordo Templi Orientis in Detroit. Mm. And through one of his poems that I read, like I said, some of his works, he didn't, he wasn't just like, oh, this is exactly what I was doing. But from everything that it seemed like he was trying to set up a faction of Ordo Templi Orientis in Moscow, failed, and then set one up in America as the war's breaking out. So that's interesting. If he failed at the one in Russia, it, it, it means to me, at least, that this means this ley line is important to his work and he had to find somewhere else on this ley line to do this. And yeah, it, it, it gets really creepy because this ley line ends up intersecting with many other places that he was. Man, that's um, weird. Not directly, but through other ley lines that he used. That's so. that's. That's wild. So one of the one of the interesting things about about Crowley is that he not only is doing all this ritual stuff, which is half of the point that I want to make, but he was also involved in a very real way with with both world wars. And I want to I, I want to talk about both of them because I think they're both interesting. So when he gets into it, when, when he's in America, the chief German propagandist in New York, a guy called George Sylvester Viverick, who also was best friends with uh, uh, Tesla, by the way, interesting. Uh, he had he hired Crowley to write anti-British articles for his magazine, The Fatherland. And there's a lot of conjecture around this. Basically, the idea that he's a, he's British. He you know, there's there's some conjecture that he was working as a spy for the British government, but whatever it was, his and this you got to take all this with a grain of salt. Because a lot of this is said from him later on and said by fans of his, I think maybe they're trying to save face. But basically what they're saying is that his writings, pro-German writings, were so inflammatory and so pro-German that all it really was was a way to make the Americans hate Germany. That it was almost satire in, its, in, it, in the way that he did it. That it was just so incredibly over-the-top pro-German that it was making Americans go, wow, this is how the Germans think and speak, and these are the propagandists for them. I hate these guys. And I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Have you looked into that at all with his kind of pro-German? He also he also did like pro-Irish um, separatist 
propaganda yeah. at the same time. And that's what really got him like hated in the UK. But yeah. when it comes when it comes to it, I actually I don't think it was satirical. Because like I said, going through his writings, through everything that he stood for and everything, it was just one of those things where he purposefully was like do something you don't like and go extreme with it until you like it. Yeah. And that was one of his ways to expand your consciousness. And so honestly, I don't think it was like for at least when you're talking about, Oh, America hate getting America to hate Germany. I don't think it was that. I think that, you know, he had, especially in the first world war, he had ties to a lot of high government officials through being ahead of the Ordo Templi Orientis. And it just, he, he was actually doing it for them. But when you get into uh, like the second world war it changes, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into that in, in uh, just a minute because this kind of brings us back to Lusitania. I, I kept hearing people say that he had some involvement with the whole Lusitania thing. And this, this is again, huge grain of salt for this. And then I, I want to move on to, to world war two stuff, but Britain, Britain really wanted America to be in the war. Like that's that's undoubted. That's undoubtable. Like they wanted their help, but Germany really, really didn't because that'd be bad for them. So the theory goes that Crowley not only made the Americans hate the Germans, but then also convinced the Germans through his propaganda that the best way to get America to stay out of the war would be a show of force. That if you say blew up a ship, the Americans would cower and run back to their country and say we're not going to help in the war effort. And the Lusitania is its own uh, conspiracy theory. Uh, there's its own podcast, but the long and short of it is that America was, th this was, this was made by the same company that made the Titanic. It was a cruise liner, but they were using it to haul weapons and ordnance and all this to, to great Britain, even though they said they wouldn't get involved in the war in any way. And then Germany sank it and the propaganda for the next 80 years before we found out that the Germans were telling the truth was that they sunk a cruise liner full of innocent passengers and it was an unprovoked attack and all this stuff. And that's how we got into world war one. So I find it interesting that world war one was also started with a false flag attack, just like so many wars. Um, but yeah, the idea is essentially that he, he convinced the Germans that if they blew up the Lusitania, America would back off. And he also convinced the Americans to hate Germany. That's again, I think that comes from really pro Crowley sources and it comes from his own mouth in the thirties when he's trying to save face for why he was a traitor to his own country. Um, same with the Irish stuff. Cause if Ireland had broken off from great Britain, that would have hurt them in the war effort and, and other things like that. So I, I don't know. I take it with a big grain of salt. Well, with the first world war, I don't think he was actually trying to save face because the opportunity for him to be able to step up and be like, no, I was actually spying on people. It arose, but yeah. somehow his bank account was empty. Never. He's yeah. been able to travel his entire life. He's some supposedly broke all the time, but he's able to do these majestic and expensive travel ventures constantly and going all across the globe. He, I think he turned it down because he did it. He, he didn't care at that point. You know, I, like, like I said, he was his, his family called him the spawn of Satan. I don't yeah. think he actually gave two craps. And the thing is like, he did have Irish heritage and he wanted to embrace that. Mm -hmm. So it, it goes two ways. Like he had the, he had the possibility of saving face and, you know, Oh no, I, I was spying for you guys. But like I said, and we'll get into it. I think it changes once you get to the second world war. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And in, in his time in America, there are tons of stories, about all of the workings that we already talked about the one he did in New York, he had this big one. in I think we talked about two of them, the one he did in New York and the one that he did in uh, Louisiana. So there's lots of rituals going on. And as soon as World War One ends, he leaves America. So in from 1920 to 1923, he's well, beginning in 1920, he goes back to Paris. He starts the Abbey of Thelema and then he moved it to Italy. And I didn't I don't I didn't write down what year, but between those years of 1920 to 1923 is back and forth between France and Italy and it may, you, like here's another one of those things where I've listened to so many podcasts and so many books 
on Aleister Crowley lately, and I keep coming across people who are like, well, I can't say whether I think he was actually evil or not. Maybe calling him the most wicked man in the world is too much. And they, there's always this like kind of, especially in conspiracy podcasts, I've noticed there's this kind of pro Crowley, even if it's like a softly kind of pro Crowley thing. Have you noticed the same thing? Or like there's way more pro Crowley stuff than I ever expected there to be. Yeah, I actually, like I said, I was freshing up on like, you know, just brushing up, you know, getting my details straight, writing out my notes, like, cause yeah. of course we're talking about a certain angle here and I came across so many as like, Oh, Crowley wasn't actually into black magic. That's what Hitler was doing. And we'll get into what their difference was. Cause that's just crazy. Well, but, yeah, there's, we'll talk about them for sure, but yeah. But the thing is, is like, no, he was into all of this stuff. Like yeah. just MK ultra is like ritually abusing children. He yes. literally practiced like when in 1920 through 23 on a daily basis at the, at the Abbey and his, you know, little commune in Italy, they practice sex magic on children and in front yeah. of children every single morning. That's the point I wanted to bring up. That's what that's exactly where I was going with this is for anybody that wants to be. Well, Crowley wasn't really that bad. Yeah, maybe he raped his maid when he was 15, which they, I literally heard one of the biggest conspiracy podcasts out there. I won't name them right now because I can't remember the name or I would because I don't I don't give a shit say in the same breath like, yeah, he probably raped his maid when he was 15, but he's probably not a bad guy. It's hard for me to understand how Crowley gets a pass on all the evil stuff he did. Even if you're not a Christian and even if you don't see like demonic summoning rituals as innately evil as it is, um, even on like the secularist side, I don't understand how Crowley's not one of the most evil men in world in the world. Because you're right, in Italy, he's performing sex acts on children in front of children. They were going on the rooftops doing sex acts in front of people, especially children to the sun god Ra. How do, how do you make that as in he's not a bad guy? Well, the one thing that people gloss over of all of that is he had a newborn when they first got there. Yeah. And yeah. all all of the accounts say that, oh, it just got so bad. It just was so nasty there that the child died of, you know, like uh, of literally nothing. They don't know what killed the child. But um, Pro Crowley the the people blame his wife. They'll say she was a drunk. But that was a time that he was a heroin addict. That's when he got hooked right. on heroin yes. and doing more cocaine than Johnny Depp and blow. Mm -hmm. um, but this guy from everything that I've heard and going back to a short, uh, a novella that he wrote, he sacrificed his child. Yeah. Um, I, I 100% believe he did. And and the pro Crowley crowd tries to blame the wife or anything other than the fact that he was raising a kid in a in a sex dungeon full of heroin and and he was already into blood sacrifice. That's the other thing that gets left out of this. There's workings of his that say there was blood sacrifice but doesn't specify what that means. And I and you're supposed to believe that he just was like cutting his arms or something like that but he wasn't actually sacrificing human beings. I I don't know. Well, going back to the New York Times journalist, what was his name again? Walter Durante. Yeah, he, there was supposedly that he was forced to drink Aleister Crowley's, um, I'm going to throw a discretion out there for the listeners, uh, but a mixture of Crowley's blood and semen. Yes. Um, out of a skull of a dead goat. Um, yeah. It, it, like it, 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 there's really nasty stuff that he forced people to do. I, I mean, everybody that worked, like if you were a, a secretary for, or for lack of better word for Aleister Crowley, he would, he would literally rape you. Like that's what he did to all of his assistants, his male assistants. He would force them into uh, anal sex magic and things like that. So I'm anyway, gross stuff. There's no way to talk about Crowley without it being gross. So yeah. I think the, the, the warning is just there that this is about sex magic and, and demonic ritualism. So it is going to be uh, not for children show um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, unless you know, you're Alistair Crowley and then it is definitely for children show. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, what's interesting too here is that in 1922 while he's in Italy, this is when Mussolini rose to power. <laughs> 
yeah. Again, just he links up with all of this so well. And then and then as soon as Mussolini le- uh, rises to power, he leaves the country and goes back to, to France. He's, he's back in Paris for a while. And then in 1930, Crowley moved to Berlin again. So I feel like there was someone in Berlin in the 1930s who rose to power during the time that Crowley lived there. I don't know. Maybe one of the most evil men ever. <laughs> But yeah. but like before we move on to the 30s, he uh, there's actual documentation of Mussolini deporting him, and this is going to play yeah. into what we talk about in World War II. Like he wasn't, he didn't leave. He, he yeah, you're he right. Was he was deported out. in 23, so the year after uh, Mussolini rose to power. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because I I wanted to know what your take on that is. If if we need to get to it later, we can get to it later. But I'm curious about that because I'm like it seems it's interesting for sure. Well, I could say it now, but I think it'll link better because sure. I can draw the points after they're all laid out. Put put a pin in it and we'll, we'll come back to it. So, uh, yeah, again, 1930 moves to Berlin. This is while Hitler's rising to power. And at this time, he gets in touch with his old uh, German propagandist friend, George Sylvester Viverick, and he asks him to send Hitler a copy of his book, The, Law, uh, the Book of the Law to Hitler. And he thought that this would help the Nazis develop their ideology and deepen their understanding and workings in the occult. And he also thought that he might even be able to get Hitler to convert to Thelema. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I came across this. And this is a it's just a in in my opinion, I laugh inside because it's a hysterical interaction. It's kind of hysterical. <laughs> um, it's like Hitler's evil, can, Come on, like I think I can make him better. <laughs> I can bring him into my evil magic. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> What's your? Do you have any more thoughts? I just find that it, I shouldn't laugh, but it is kind of hysterical. Like it's uh, it's just that crazy. I know we said we were going to put a pin in it, but I'm just okay, going to drop we, it now. Okay, go ahead. So you you look at Moscow. He, for lack of better words, he fucked up sending you know setting up the Ordo Templi Orientis out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. He moves down to Italy and he messes up and Mussolini's like, even I can't stand you. Get out of here. Okay. Yeah. So he goes back to Paris. Then a few years later, um, he continues the Abbey of Thelema there. But mm-hmm. what we know on record, it dissolved. But we'll talk about Barbara Bush later because that comes up. Yeah. Um, but the Abbey of Thelema continues there then he moves to berlin and he tries to get hitler on board well all you see like the nazi powers just like no we no we we don't accept you especially did they not accept him they they abolished the german oto but they the reason that they did that the oto is a branch off from crowley's old order that he was a part of when he first became a Freemason before he got into all the sex magic, the hermetic order order of the golden dawn. Yeah. 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 And essentially what it was, was for the, for the listener and viewer is they took ancient Jewish mysticism, the Kabbalah, and they were trying to summon angels. Crowley went a step too far and wanted to summon demons too. And that's when he linked up with the Ordo Templi Orientis and they were all like, all right, let's use this same form of ancient Jewish mysticism to summon both angels and demons. But of course the angels were demons. All of it was just summon angels through. Yeah. Evil fallen angels. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's from from what everything that I have. It, it there was zero like Hitler was on the same page with him on everything, except that he practiced it in a Judy in a Judeo way, and then mixed in like, you know, Tunisian and Egyptian and other cultures and what they did to summon the same entities. Yeah, for sure. So what you're saying is that Hitler just had a problem with him because he was using Kabbalah, which is a Jewish order of mysticism, and Hitler hated the Jews. Yeah. That yeah, makes so much, much sense. That makes so much sense because after after the Nazis abolished the German OTO, Crowley labeled Hitler as a black magician 
uh, <laughs> was anti-Hitler now. So he was like, I'm pro-Hitler, except he doesn't like my particular demonic summonings. So he's a black magician, which would insinuate that Aleister Crowley saw himself as a white magician. Well, it's weird. This is my know, other, like, sorry, this is my other beef. Yeah. I, I have to say this really quick. This is my other beef with so many cons- conspiracy podcasts is there's one in particular where the, the guy calls himself a Christian and he will say, he he makes a distinction that Aleister Crowley makes and doesn't even, I don't know if he realizes it. I mean, he has to realize it, but he actually believes that you can be doing this type of magic, but there's a good way and a bad way, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, especially coming from someone who claims to be a Christian, that you can practice occult paganism, but some of it could be good, right? Because they act like they actually believe that they're summoning, summoning angels. The, the, the order of the golden dawn, if correct me if I'm wrong on this, wasn't the, the ritual that he was trying to perform, the one where he had to summon the 12 kings of hell and defeat them to get, to summon his guardian angel? Yeah, that's exact. That was a six-month uh, ritual yes. that he had to perform. And do you, we, we dove into this on Freemasons. Like It goes all the way back to Solomon. Solomon created the Freemasons. Like It's yeah. that deep. Um. But they actually, they take writings of Solomon, and that's how they get those, get get that ritual. They took it straight from some of Solomon's un, unpublished lamentations, like, straight out. And they're just like, okay, this is how we do it. We have to go through these steps. We have to go through all of these. And that's where we get the guardian angel, Iwas. And that's where, you know, you're talking about the Babylon rituals. Well, they were trying to bring the scarlet woman and every time uh crowley hooked up with a new chick because he did it almost every time he moved to a new area he tried to make her into the scarlet woman she was his project yeah yeah it's interesting uh, i i have i need to we need to do a a deeper dive into the freemason stuff but it's interesting that they've always linked their stuff back to solomon solomon's sin his greatest sin was that he built temples to the other gods that he was that he betrayed Yahweh and he built these these monuments these temples to Baal and to uh Ashra or Ashtoreth and and Molech and all these things so of course that would be where the Freemasons get their their foundation because it like the one thing I've learned about Freemasonry is that they they still give this public face of being a semi-Christian organization when you really dive into it, all they all they are is they're Gnostics. They're they're mm-hmm. Gnostics who are saying, yes, we believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe this and that. But what you realize when you delve into Freemasonry or Gnosticism or any of these things is their ultimate thing that they're saying is that Lucifer gave people the the knowledge of good and evil, and that was the good thing actually. And the enemy is God, is Yahweh, is the God that created heaven and earth and things like that. So it's always on its face a. a I don't understand how anybody buys this, but people actually buy the, the Freemasonry is actually a Christian organization because they say you have to believe in God. Well, of course you're going to believe in God. If you're a Satanist, that's how that works. Yeah. Believe he exists. So like the, what I found is like there's, and if you look at even Crowley's uh, orders and everything, you start off with your first three levels and it's, introducing Gnosticism at very low Mm -hmm. levels, but still in Christianity, it's Blue Lodge Masonry. You know, you have your entered apprentice, your uh, fellow craft, and then you have a Mason or a Master Mason. And you see that in all of Crowley's orders. It's it's just ridiculous. But like from that, like what, what, what we were talking about is, you know, he had just different ideology ways to go about it. And we've covered this a lot on our podcast where all of these different religions, especially when you're talking about ancient religions and especially Gnosticism, it's Mm. just a different name for the same thing. And all of them go back and line up with the same thing that happens with Nimrod, the watchers and Nephilim and acts literally parallel to the Bible. So all of these (laughs) religions are Gnosticism of some sort. You didn't, I don't think you saw our show last night, but that was the point of the entire show last night. (laughs) 
we, we took it we took it all the way back to the Anunnaki and how it's always been this this thing where it's like the Nephilim are good actually and we'll call them the Anunnaki and they're all these same it's all the same religion it, it all demigods. leads to the same place yeah exactly yeah. exactly um, real quick over on Rockfin I, I meant to say a shout out to Based Babe who's watching us live she is she says that she didn't stream her show tonight because she wanted to catch this I love your show. Uh, Frida. So if you got to catch this later, you got to catch this later. She asks, is it bad if you're related to a Freemason? You can't c control who you're related to. I, I, you know, stay away from Freemasonry, but it's, you know. We came uh, to the conclusion about Freemasons. 90% of Freemasons have zero clue what's going yeah. on. That it's Blue Lodge Masonry, like your normal lodge that you see in your town. They're yeah. not going to have a grand wizard mason there that knows but, all the Egyptian and all the Gnosticism and the rituals behind it all. It's like the first three levels majority of the time. Yeah, and that's the that's the truth, and that's on purpose too. Because if they have ninety percent of these dudes being normal everyday people, then you don't then you don't think the normal person I would say doesn't think that it's anything more than just this weird moose lodge type crap where they go and drink and act funny and whatever just a way of excuse to get away from the wife and have a brotherhood and whatever so they see that part of it which is true it's not really i still think it's evil but it, like they don't realize it right they don't realize what they're propping up and because of that the the higher orders can have all of that cover it's tons of cover for them yeah. it, it's it puts a wall between what's really what masonry is really about and what the public sees i think you think it's like yeah. a fair way to put it that, that's a hundred percent accurate. Like we did yeah. three episodes on it. I wrote a massive thesis paper on the Freemasons. It's actually on our website. If you guys want to check it out, I'm gonna have to read um, that for sure. Yeah. And it's the best, like what we were talking about with the Kabbalah, they thought they were summoning angels, the hermetic order of the golden dawn. They thought they were summoning angels. A lot of these people, Oh, there's good magic. You can do good with it. The devil was an angel. You know, he's also known as the great deceiver. It's yeah. very prominent. Like he has to deceive in order to get what he wants done done because no one in their right mind is going to go along with that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to get to a few more parts of my notes and then continue with because there's so many interesting things to talk about here. Um, but when World War II breaks out in 1939, this is where Crowley wrote the Naval Intelligence Division, and he offered his service to them, but they declined. And that I find that interesting because he, to me, it says two things. Either this whole story that he's helped set up and his followers helped prop up that he was in Russia to do this, and he was actually in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn to bring them down. He was a subversive. He was hired by the British government, and he wasn't really this bad guy doing these bad things. I think it's I think it's crap because the government didn't even want him when he, he offered his services to them in World War II. If this is a longtime spy. That's hard for me to, and a successful one, according to the people who are like Crowley wasn't a bad guy. He was working for the British government doing good things. Do you do you buy that story that he was ever a British spy or, or am I wrong on this? In the Second World War. Yes, I do believe that he spied for the British to start to gain yeah. rapport back because after World War Two and even during World War Two, he started going back. Like that wasn't that didn't happen it, up until like the thirties. I want to say like he wasn't going back. So well, yeah. So point, I, I guess the point I was asking is pre World War Two, if he was yeah. already a British spy, and then they turned him down because there is evidence that eventually he did get his way into the British government for World War Two. Yeah. Pre-World War II, I don't think he was a British spy. I think yeah, that yeah. everything that he was about was, I hate the British, I hate these people. It was all about hate. And once he realized how much he had screwed himself, and especially when you talk about the Navy Intelligence Division, like mm -hmm. I think that was a big awakening for him. Like, oh, crap. I really, I really screwed up now. This is the exact same story, by the way, that L. Ron Hubbard stole and tried to use because <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard tried to say after he broke up Jack Parsons whole uh, evil house there in, in uh, Santa Fe, California, that he was actually working for the government and he was there to take down these evil occultists and actually Scientology is the good evil occult. Um, but no, anyway, yeah, I don't I think that he did get involved because after 
the British Navy intelligence turns him down. He starts going around making friends with people in the community. He makes friends with Roald Dahl. He makes friends with Ian Fleming. Uh, names that are very, I mean, these are authors. Ian Fleming wrote the the James Bond stuff. Roald Dahl wrote like Big Friendly Giant and other children's books and stuff like that. Weird dude. I need to like actually look into Roald Dahl at one of these points because I think this guy's, he keeps coming up in weird ways where I'm like, eh, is this guy just a children's author or is there something way weirder there? Like Lewis Carroll weird, if you're familiar with that story. What, uh, Christmas Carol? No, Lewis Carroll, the guy who wrote uh, the... Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. He's a pedophile. Was my point? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Lewis, uh, the Alice in Wonderland. I, I just did a lot of bumping into that, but Roald Dahl. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was just like on that same level because yeah, like you look at it, Alice in Wonderland, big thing for you know black operations for governments. You know, it's a huge thing. So is Ian Fleming's work, and so is Roald Dahl's. Yeah. Like, I think there's a reason they were there. I just can't put my finger on it. Yeah. Yeah, so after he starts making these inroads with all these people, there's other names. I just didn't recognize the other names. So I didn't bring them up. Uh, he later in life claims that he made the V for Victory sign for the British, that the, the British first used. And he says that this was a magical counter to the swastika. So what he's, he's setting up that same thing that he said when Hitler, when he said that Hitler is a black magician, he's setting up the same idea that he's a white magician and he will do demonic summonings and rituals on behalf of the British government for good. And that's kind of his whole thing. And, and I think there's some evidence that he did maybe create the V for victory thing. You see this in some of his books. He, he like emphasizes the, the, V and certain things. I don't know. Am I wrong on that? Or is it just like another big grain of salt type of thing? I'm not entirely sure because in magic in theory and practice, the thing is he actually has a bodily position called the swastika, which was the German word for swastika. That's how they said it. Um, Well, if you think about this though, think, think about it this way, because this is, this is the whole, crux of the argument of like light magic versus good magic. This goes back to all the pantheons in all of history. People get deceived into thinking, oh, if I worship this being and this other being's bad and they're fighting, then one of them has to be good instead of the, 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 I think, correct interpretation of this that all of these fallen angel demonic beings want power. They want people to worship them. And just because Ares followers are fighting uh, Ishtar's followers doesn't mean that they're, they're fighting on the good side. So obviously at one point Crowley thought that the Nazis, that Nazis could be good. And then when he realized he has to be their enemy, he's like, well, I'll serve this other God and use these other symbols. So I could see it in that way where it's just like two evil forces fighting each other for power. But I don't know. I mean, it, it goes back to what we were saying about Hitler, like same thing, different name. And with Crowley, like, it seems like he had to have it his way. He had to have it a specific way. And when you go back to his upbringing, he was a rotten little shit. Like, yeah, (laughs) it makes sense. Yeah. Like from very young age, didn't he have like some kind of uh, he had a lot of homosexual encounters with classmates that got him kicked out of schools. One of his teachers took him to to visit a whorehouse when he was 15. There's that a was story his about uncle. That was his uncle. That's right. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, his uncle yeah. took him at 15 to, to get prostitutes with him. Uh, there's a story about how he raped his maid. That story's weird. Have you ever looked into that one? Not a whole lot. Like I've heard it come up in like my research and I've heard like he forced himself on his maid multiple times between the ages yeah. of 15 and 17. Like yeah. it wasn't just a one-time thing. He no, was her a lot. Like, and then when his over- mom found out she fired the maid and his story later in life is that because she was fired for being sexually inappropriate with, with uh, the son of the, the house that she had to become a prostitute and that she was the first victim of Jack the Ripper. And Alistair Crowley claims to know Jack the Ripper and that he was another um, uh, occultist that they knew each other. I have. It could be total crap, but I find the story interesting. 
I have a strong theory that Jack the Ripper was also a part of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And the re the only reason he tried to conceal his identity was so that he didn't lose his status among the order. Cause like Crowley was open about it. Like he flaunted it and was like, Oh, I'm going to go do this and I'm not going to listen to you. I think Jack the Ripper just did it in secret and was just like hush hush about it and tried to do some just, it was, yeah, you guys know the story of Jack the Ripper. He did awful. I wouldn't be surprised things. if he was an occultist. It would make sense why it seemed like ritual blood sacrifices and things that he was doing on these women. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. with Jack, it, it lines ahead. up perfectly. It just lines up perfectly. That's all I have to say about it. Again, like I said, evil, evil Forrest Gump. He just knows everybody. He he shakes the president hand. President's hand tells him that he really has to pee. You know that whole, that whole thing. Yeah, dude, this has been a very fun episode to talk to you about <laughs> fun. We're talking about like evil people and stuff like that, uh, but I enjoyed hearing uh, your your takes on these things. I know you've studied a lot more than me and uh, we've had good conversations in the past. So this is a th- thanks for coming on is what I'm saying. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, it, it, it's really fun to like talk with you guys. You know, like I said, we're trying to develop like a more more. Uh, a continuous relationship with y'all it's it's i think there's a lot of really good similarities and a lot of like questions that we can ask each other that really like push your brown boundaries and make it a little bit more unhinged you know what i mean that's dude that's what i'm here for so (laughs) really quick but uh was there any final thoughts you want to give on crowley before we close out this episode Ooh, i'm looking through because there's a lot of stuff that i have here um let me, I'm just trying to make sure. Yeah, oh so yeah. There was one, there was one other ley line I wanted to mention real quick. Yeah. Let's um, get into we talked, we talked about the Abbey of Thelema. We talked about the Bolus Boliskine house on Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. Um, remember how I mentioned ley line 188 earlier? Yeah, the one that runs through Moscow and Detroit, right? The other ley line in which the house of Abbey Thelema and the house in Bulliskin uh, are on, they're on St. Michael's ley line. St. Michael's ley line. It runs like through the middle of Europe, essentially. But when it intersects with the ley line of Moscow and Detroit 188, Mm-hmm. It creates a thirty-three degree. Sir, of course it does. <laughs> I, of I course just, it does. I had to. I, I had to, and it runs also through where the Abbey of Thelema in Paris was as well. So it's just super. I'm telling you, we we haven't actually done any episodes on ley lines yet, but I am becoming more and more convinced all the time. I mean, I'm already convinced, but I want to like really dive into the subject that these are well known you know for for thousands of years for like the whatever spiritual demonic powers that they allow people to use i mean we've just every time we come across these things whether it's where rituals are happening where pyramids were built where all of the the old statues with the six fingers were built there's this like ley line that goes all the way around the world and you can find stonehenge on it you can find the easter island things on it like there seems to be something there that is ancient and is important. It's there's too many coincidences with the ley line stuff for it to be anything other than, than something. And at least the, the at least at the very least, the occultists very strongly believe in it. And I think being yeah. able to understand what they believe and why is, is important. So, um, but yeah. yeah, dude, thank you again for coming on Uh real quick. Let people know where they can find you and uh, we'll have to do this again soon. I know we're having uh, Luke on at some point, And uh, I think we're going to have River on at some point, and then we'll have to get back on your show at some point. Yeah, like I said, uh, try to create a continuous relationship. You know, it's really really awesome being on here. So thanks for having me again. This this was a lot of fun. It was right in my wheelhouse, too. It's kind of sad. I know Abby really wanted to talk about it, and like she had something to do with work or something. Do, Do you know what she told me yesterday? 
Um, I she was asking me questions about my research into Aleister Crowley, and I was like, "All right, well, some of this is really gross." So and I explained some of the the more disgusting sides of Aleister Crowley and sex magic and how and why it works. And she was like, "Maybe this is a good episode for two dudes to do." <laughs> I texted her and I was like, wow, it's going to be two dudes mansplaining sex magic. How great. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you guys can find us at our website uh, at ddoubledownnetwork.com. Over there, you'll get access to all three of our shows. We're a growing network. We're not nearly as big as you guys yet, but you know, we're just trying to get our message out there. We're trying to make sure that we speak facts and that we get everything right, hence the double. We double-check everything. Everything that we do is, okay, can we bounce it off of everyone, and can everyone confirm this? And only then does it make its way into our uh, content. But... um yeah, just check us out. We're only on Rumble. Uh, we feel strongly about interacting with Big Absolutely. Tech. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm loving Rumble all, more all the time. They're adding new stuff. We do Rumble, and then uh, Locals is affiliated with them. This show will be on Locals as well. And then we have a really cool deal with Rockfin uh, where we stream this So and, and Odyssey. But we're trying to stay away from YouTube and uh, Twitch and all those places that just you build an audience there, and they just take it away from you anyway. Like, what's the point? Exactly. And there's so many rules like we would not be able to get nearly as, you know, no, everything unhinged. we said today. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we would not be able to be unhinged on YouTube. We found this out. We've had videos taken down. We're like, you know, screw that. So anyway, thank you so much again. And uh, we will see you next time. Have a good night. Peace out, everyone. Peace.